0: Welcome to Predator Radio, your exclusive podcast channel for everything predator hunting related. Predator Radio is brought to us today by our sponsor, Predator Precision. Predator Precision offers a full line of thermal and night vision optics as well as thermal accessories. Check them out on the web at www.predatorprecision.com. Welcome to Predator Radio. Today we have Jason Grossclose with us. And Jason is from MFK, has an extensive background in uh, a little bit of everything Predator-related, everything from tournaments to calling and uh, hunting. So, Jason, you're here with us?
1: Hey, Jeff. How's it going, buddy?
0: Good. Man, thanks for taking the time out of your busy schedule to uh, squeeze it in. I know this is the second or third time we've tried to hook up to get this done so i appreciate you squeezing me in man
1: yes sir yeah spring's kind of a busy time for me uh my my living is farming so i run a lot of beef cattle and stuff so spring's kind of a busy time, but know we've had a couple glitches the last couple weeks trying to do this but it's raining today and we are we are ready to go
0: <laughs> well cool well hey can you kind of give everybody a background um on who you are um how you got into predator hunting I'm sure has something to do with the uh what you explained to the farming and the cattle but kind of give everybody a rundown on your background and who you are for those that I know most people in predator hunting have probably heard your name but for those that haven't give us the the rundown
1: well yeah I mean I I started out predator hunting uh probably in my middle teen years uh coyotes haven't always been native uh here in Virginia uh, we started seeing them showing up around uh, the early 90s, 92, 93. My family, actually, we used to raise a lot of sheep along with cattle, and uh, they pretty much wiped us out of the sheep business, and it kind of got me interested because I I grew up hunting. I love to turkey hunt. I love to deer hunt, squirrel hunt. I mean, all the things that you know, good old country boy, country kids grow up doing, and no one in my area like knew how to kill coyotes or no one had ever dealt with them. I mean, it was a new, it was a new predator in our, uh, ecosystem. And, uh, I started doing some research on it and, um, I bought a, I think it was a Primo's howler. It had a huge horn on it. I mean, the call <laughs> actually sounded really good for an open read. It almost sounded like a wolf howl, And I learned on that thing. And, uh, It took me a year or two. I would go out and play with them. I could get them to howl. I mean, I was 14, 15 years old, Uh, but I I mean, I was addicted to it. I mean, they were really just starting to get in their area. And uh, just hearing those howls for the first time was was really cool to me. And uh, just worked with it. And uh, I guess I just got lucky and just happened to set up in the right spot because I mean, back then there wasn't, you didn't have forums, uh, you didn't have Google, you didn't have a lot of <laughs> right. magazines and all that with a lot of information together. So I guess I just got lucky and I howled a few times Coyote ran in I shot him probably about 60 yards, uh, with my deer rifle actually. And, uh, man, from that point on, I was hooked. I think that was 95 or 96, I believe. And from then on, it just, you know, kind of grew from there, uh, researched some more, bought better calls, got into uh, 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 hand-calling more because that was kind of what worked for me. I'd started out with some uh, Johnny Stewart tapes and stuff when I was a kid and used to kill a pile of foxes and stuff with them. And uh, uh, But it seemed like it, they weren't really working for the coyotes. So that's, that's kind of how I got into hand-calling. Um, progressed from there, uh, started doing some uh, – Some small tournament hunting uh, here locally, some kind of parking lot contests and stuff like that was really successful with those. And uh, in 2010, they had the World Predator Expo in Columbus, Ohio, and I felt fairly confident with my calling skills, so um, I packed up and headed north Ohio. And I just got into diaphragm calling. I picked up some
0: uh, some MFK
1: diaphragms, which at that time, they were actually TC Custom Calls. Uh, okay. Tory Cook. He had just uh, he just started making diaphragms, and uh, I'd seen some of his uh, products on Predator Masters, which was a forum that was a good place for information back in the day. And uh, I saw, picked up his name there, ordered a couple, went up there, and got fortunate enough to win the uh, World Predator Howling Championship.
0: That's awesome.
1: And uh, you know from there uh linked up with tory after that he found out i'd won using his calls and we we end up forming mfk game calls and i guess the rest is history i i do all the video editing the uh, computer work uh film a lot of hunts with tory uh it's been a good partnership me him dave stucks we've been there since day one we picked up a lot of guys since then and uh I've had the opportunity to travel all across the country, filming hunts, uh, going to shows and been very blessed with it. I mean, coyote hunting is, has been one of those things to me that's, you know, it's, it's kind of your life now, honestly. (laughs) Right.
0: Yeah. Well, that's neat. Can, so MFK's really grown, like, you know, you say, well, we did some videos and this and that, like mfk seems to be kind of the the top in the line or the the go-to for diaphragm calls and your i know your guys's youtube channel is huge can you kind of go into i mean you have to have a ton of time wrapped up in that many episodes and can you kind of go into what all went into the filming that because i i know i've uh, listened to some other podcasts i've heard people talk about trying to film you know obviously during daytime stuff and you know, they talk about all these hours and hours of filming they've got wrapped up to get a few minutes of of what goes online or in an episode. Can you kind of go into you know, what you've gone through to, to get that? What's on YouTube?
1: Right. Uh, yeah, the YouTube channel it's it's been a learning experience, that's for sure. Uh, when we went into it, uh, neither. Neither Tori, Dave, myself—none of us had any experience. I mean, I—the only class I ever felt in school was computer class, and now <laughs> I'm the computer guy. If that tells you anything, <laughs> so uh, we we rely more on luck than anything, and I guess it's kind of kept us. Uh, we've been—we're uh, still—we're still hanging on that. So as long as it's working, I'm not going to try to change anything. But uh, uh, all kidding aside, though, we. Uh, our main goal was just to provide really, really good hunts. Uh, We're hunters first and, you know, we decided to throw a camera in the mix of it and it slowed us down a lot. I mean, filming hunts and uh, just going out there hunting is two different ball games. I mean, if you want really good footage, I mean, it it cut our kills back a lot and that's it's a little discouraging at times because you would go out there and you'd be one to get really good footage and, You let the coyote come in all of a sudden he wins you and you could have got the shot four to five seconds earlier but you were waiting for that perfect footage and let him get away but as as we grew as predator hunters we learned to grow that it didn't hurt our feelings we got that footage and we were wanting to get the best possible coyote hunting footage bobcat footage fox footage coon calling footage that we could and it helped us in the long run uh we first started our channel uh we started putting up some early hunts and we got a good following and it's, and it's grown. We're, we're now over 30,000 plus subscribers and growing every day. Uh, we, uh, we try to do uh, new predator hunts uh, at least weekly when, when time allows, like I said, I, I do all the video editing for the most part and uh, just kind of work off my own schedule with, with my actual real job. And, um, you know it's it's been it's been really good that's that's been one of our our strong points and it's helped YouTube get a lot of the exposure uh, we actually speaking of the YouTube channel we had a video go viral a few years ago uh, just so happened I put up a little teaser clip and it got over 6 million views and I just saw this morning I had I woke up this morning I had 12 Messages and Facebook Messenger like, man, you're you're TikTok famous. I don't even know what TikTok <laughs> is. So I'm I'm not, I'm not quite up to par on all that. But uh, but my stepson he uh, he filled me in. He said, man, that that's what all the kids are using these days. And uh, it had over like two hundred thousand uh, likes and all that on TikTok this morning. That video from from YouTube a few years ago is just me sitting in the woods howling and a bunch of coyotes out in front of us. Corey was filming me and. You know, that video, it's we've just been lucky. I guess that's all I can say. Uh, we we work hard to provide really good hunts. We try to explain our hunts. We try to do stand layouts and show it to you the way it happened. We may not always have the best footage of this coyote running in 300 yards across an open prairie. Most of our shots are shotgun hunting in a, in a thicket and shoot them at. 10, 15, 20 yards with a shotgun. So there's not a lot of footage, but it's stuff that people really want to see and can relate to.
0: That's awesome. So MFK I know is, is built around the diaphragm calls, but for the sake of learning and kind of helping us understand, can you kind of go through um, hand calls versus mouth calls like hand, you know, like open read, close read, the differences, then the mouth calls and what you go through with those and then using those versus an electronic call. Uh, Right. So people, I mean the difference and and kind of what, what you suggest. I know when new people come out, I I always suggest uh, just starting with an electronic call just because I think, you know, for, for somebody who doesn't understand the communication and what it's even supposed to sound like. um, But I know that the top guys, um, are are using a lot of hand calls and mouth calls. So can you kind of go through that spectrum of, of, uh, the differences and then kind of how people can get good at them? I I know I have a set of, of your guys' diaphragms on my truck. And while I'm on a trip, if it's going to be more than a 30, 40 minute drive, I throw one in my mouth and I just practice in my truck and I've been practicing for a while and I'm getting a little better, but I'm nowhere near, uh, proficient enough to try it you out in the field
1: right yeah I mean and that's the thing I mean there is a learning curve on any type of call and there's a learning curve on electronic calls believe it or not uh, a lot of people think it's just as simple as going out there and just pushing a button but uh, learning with them I think that is a it's a good place to start if you really don't have a good vocabulary of uh, distress prey distress and coyote howls, you don't really know how to do them and you really want to get into predator hunting, electronic calls is a good place to start. I always recommend trying to get good on hand calls, diaphragms, open reads, closed reads, while you're using the uh, e-call. I mean, I use an e-call practically on every stand. Uh, I use diaphragm calls combined with that. And I think that gives a, gives a sense of realism. It almost sounds like there's two coyotes or two different, or if I'm doing prey distress and mix it with some pup distress or something like that, it just gives a little bit more realism to the stand. But going back to your original question, I think the easiest call to start out with if someone's just a beginner wanting to learn how to get into hand calling, a close read is going to be the most forgiving for you. Okay. Um, a good close read, you can blow on that call, and it's kind of hard to mess up. Basically, all you have to do is just learn to do your cadences right, uh, like for Rabbit, a wah, wah, wah across the reeds of that close read call. Uh, listen, to, uh, listen to some sound clips, and the way I learned and the way I used to prepare to do calling competitions is I would set up a video camera or your cell phone and record yourself. Uh, because a lot of times when you're calling, it doesn't really sound like what, what you're hearing may not be what it actually is. So the best way to learn, turn your camera on. Everybody has a video, uh, camera on their cell phone anymore. So just prop your, prop your cell phone up, do a 30 second clip, listen to it. I mean, if it sounds like what you're wanting, you're on the right track. If it doesn't, that way you have something to critique that you can, uh, you can, uh, work on. Uh, in the future, um, I'd say the next hardest would be open reads like open read howlers, open read uh, rabbit distress, fawn distress calls like that. And uh, a lot of those it's all about uh, where you place either your teeth or your lips on that open read. Uh, that's just playing with it. Uh, if you want higher pitches you'll you'll actually press harder on that open read for the higher pitch, like your howls or your, uh, really high pitch rabid distress. If you want more of a, a Jack rabbit distress, where it's more like a war, you'll put less pressure with your teeth or your lips, whichever, you know, and I do both. I mean, when I'm using, if I use an open read, I mean, it's, it's kind of back and forth with both. And that's what gives it that unique sound. Um, getting into diaphragm calling, it's probably a little harder to learn for some, and some people actually pick it up quicker, especially younger kids that haven't caught a lot. Uh, it seems like we'll give some calls to some kids, and, and they'll pick it up and be howling in no time. Uh, I think one of the things that mess a lot of people up is they learn to use a diaphragm by calling turkeys, and then when they get a howling diaphragm or pre distress diaphragm uh, from MFK, they'll want to they yelp on it. And it's hard to break that habit. So uh, it takes a little practice. We've got a lot of instructional videos up on our YouTube channel, that we mentioned earlier, uh, just type in MFK instructional videos and there's a pile up there. I go through a 30 minute video from basically taking a diaphragm out of the box to learning how to use it. So that'll help, that'll help shorten the learning curve a little, but it still takes practice. And like you said, going down the road while you're driving to and from work, is a lot better time to practice than while you're sitting at the house with your wife or your kids. Cause <laughs> right. they're probably not going to be quite as forgiving. <laughs> right.
0: So what's the average time? Like what's a reasonable time to, if you practice a little bit each day, um, most people get it in days, weeks, months, days. Yeah. Usually days.
1: Yeah. I mean, within days you should be, I mean, you should, you should have it down. I mean, it's the biggest key is to learn from your mistakes, record it, uh, gotcha. listen to it. If if your howls are really, really high-pitched and you're getting a lot of uh, broken tones, learn learn your tongue placement a little better and your air pressure across those reeds, and it will help clear that up. I mean, it, a lot of it's playing with it. Yeah. What I recommend to new guys doing it is don't try to sound – Perfect the first time. Learn your notes. I mean, it's just like playing an instrument. I'm, I, I don't know how to play the instruments, but I'm assuming that's how it would go: yeah, is to learn to sense. play your notes. Uh, play like when you howl, I don't have a call handy here with me, but just get a single note how, and then try to get a deeper how, and try to get a uh, your bark or your pup distress. Just learn a single note at a time, and just start perfecting that and then start to combine those. And I promise you all of a sudden it's like a light flip light switch flips and you got it. Once you got it, you got it.
0: Yeah,
1: you got it. I mean, it's kind of like riding a bike. I mean, it it seems like the toughest, most, uh, unachievable act you can ever go at. And then all of a sudden, like, man, this is easy.
0: (laughs) Uh, Neat. So how much, when you're out, um, calling, how much do you tweak what you do based on being, you know, in the field or in the woods? Like, you know, if stuff's not answering back on a how, for instance, do you change what you do? You change how you're calling or you just chalk it up as, you know, may not be anything here. I guess a lot of people say, I don't want to go out in the I don't want to go out until I know I've got this just right. And right. I've told people like, you're, you're going to learn, you know, I think about half of what you're going to learn is going to be out there figuring out what works. And a lot of people hold out till I don't want to try, you know, my hand call until I feel like I've got it 100% down pat or I'm going to blow stands. Um, don't you think that once, I think once you have a start, like, don't you agree there's a big learning curve of out there in the field seeing what works? Oh, 100
1: Oh, 100%. I think I think once you hit that happy medium, like, you don't have to be perfect. I mean, I, you know, I've, I urge people, you don't have to sound like a world champion caller to go out there and use that call for the first time. Uh, I promise you, there's been a lot of coyotes, a lot of foxes, a lot of bobcats called in on people blowing calls that sounded horribly. But that fox, that coyote, that bobcat, They didn't know that they thought something was dying and they came in running and that's all that you want. And, you know, once you're confident that, you know, you're not, I don't know how to say this politely, but you're not sounding like crap, you know, that you're getting pretty good, go out and try it. I mean, none of us started out. I mean, I, I can look back at when I first started using calls, I mean, compared to now, I mean, I was horrible. I mean it's embarrassing if I go back and listen to that, but I was still calling in stuff, so I mean, you have to learn everybody has a ladder they have to climb. I mean it doesn't matter who it is um, the best callers in the world, the best turkey callers in the world, and uh that's a good reference i mean uh if you ask any of the professional turkey callers that born grand nationals, they'll say they'll out-call any live hen any day. I mean, a live hen, if, if I don't know how many people are listening to this turkey hunt, but if you've ever been out in the woods on a spring morning in April and listen to some of these hens, hens call, they're terrible. <laughs> and But you know who the gobbler goes to? They go to them. I'm up there. I'm sounding all good. I think I'm all perfect. You know who he goes to? Them. So you don't always have to sound perfect. You have to learn, and you learn what works. That's the good thing about it. And uh, going on those stands that, you know, you may not call in stuff two or three times. You, know, you may make two to three back-to-back stands. Change some things up. I mean, th- there's some nights howls are working really good. Uh, certain times of year howls are working really good. Uh, and there's some nights that won't run all prey distress. If I go to a stand and I start out with some rabbit distress or something like that and immediately start calling coyotes in, I'm not breaking away from that. The next stand, I guarantee you, I'm going to start with rabbit distress until that quits working. Then I'll try something else. So i make another stand or two and that goes dead. I'll go to something else, especially, and we hunt out of state a lot, do some contest hunts and stuff out of state. And uh, we'll hit on a sound as long as it's working. I'm not leaving from it. All right. And uh, when it slows down, you know, we'll switch to something else, try something else. So, I mean, it. And we're still learning. Everybody that's out there is still learning. So don't be afraid to take chances is basically what I'm saying. You've got to learn somewhere. And uh, the best way to learn is learn from your mistakes because a lot of times you will learn a whole lot more from them than you will reading any article, or listening to any podcast or reading a forum or a Facebook page or anything. So the best way to do it is just to, to keep practicing and you know, I promise you, if if you work at it and do your research, you'll you'll be successful with
0: it. That's awesome, and that brings up a another good point. Is I've told some people there's I've taken some time in now, so I'm somewhat fascinated by just coyote behavior in general. Coming from being a, a dog trainer, a police canine trainer for almost twenty years, um, and learning their behavior. I've gone out on stands before where I'll have two or three stands. I've got one place in particular that is overrun by Fox right? and where it's at. The farmer doesn't really care. I'm there. I'm there for coyotes. And, and he, he says, I really don't mind the Fox. There's kind of, that's kind of a whole nother discussion, but in short, the Fox aren't a problem. So I'll take times that I'll go out there and call, And strictly see how close I can get that fox into me before he busts me. And I'll I'll learn him winding me. I'll try to figure out what uh, trips him up as far as whatever causes him to bust me. Um, That's how I learned a lot with, you know, having lights on my gun, like the the little uh, light on my external battery pack. Or when I pull my eye away from the optic, it would light up my face. You know, little things like that. Um, I really learned a lot from doing stands not for even the point of killing anything at the end of it. I just wanted to see how can I manipulate this animal's behavior and get them in as close as possible. And I think that's probably a right. good thing to try with, with hand calls and mouth calls is take a couple stands that, you know, there's stuff there. You know, if if you don't get something, you always come back the next day the next night and get it, but use a couple stands or at least I do. I'll every once in a while I use stands. It's just education let's see what I can learn from this and if I don't leave with anything in the back of the truck, that's okay. What, what I learned from it's more valuable than what I put in the back of the truck.
1: Oh, I'm hundred percent. I mean, that's, that's a great way to look at it. And I think that's where the filming aspect of what we started doing has made us learn coyote behavior a lot better because it's made us more patient. And um, i night hunt a lot here in Virginia. I started out with lights back in the 90s and uh, progressed to night vision. Now I'm using thermal. And I'll tell you what, I've learned more about coyotes in the last five years using thermal than I probably have in the first 10 years that I've coyote hunted. Just because you can see the behavior, you can see the way they approach a field, Uh, you can see how they approach a stand, you can see once they pick your wind up, you can see them checking your wind. Um, and, you know, just watching them react where I couldn't see that with lights, you yeah, know, right. because I mean, they would be out there five, six, seven hundred yards, you know, I might get a flicker of an eye. I really wasn't sure what that was when I was home with lights with thermal, a hundred percent know what it is. And you can watch that animal and learn his behavior about how he approaches the stand. You can learn. Like, if he uses the low place in a field to cross, you know, to approach your stand or uses a low place in a field to cross a fence or how he, once he picks up your wind, if it affects him or not, or when he starts looking for that wind. And, you know, that's huge to be able to learn how to do that. And a good time to do that is, you know, July, August, September, when you've got when you got some fresh coyotes that haven't been called to a lot, and you can actually get out there and just watch them. You don't have to kill everything. You know, a good education is well worth it later in the season. Of course, they're not going to probably act exactly the same, but their behavior and the way they approach a stand is going to be very, very similar. And it helps take the nerves off. I mean, if you can go out there and watch a coyote in your scope, and let them come in without having to, you know, dump a 20 round bag at him. You know, <laughs> it, it it helps your composure a little bit. I, that's what I say about a lot of friends. You know, I, I take a lot of new guys hunting and stuff and, you know, we'll be having a coyote come in with thermal and it gets to 600 yards. They're like, you want me to shoot him? <laughs> you know, I'm like, no man, just, just, just calm down. I mean, you go over there, you can always see the tripod shaking. I mean, a lot of it's composure. Uh, the biggest thing is, you want him killed. You know, you, you can't hit a code if you're sitting there shaking so much. So, learn to watch some of those. Learn learn their behavior. And like you said with the foxes, man, they're they're cool. I love foxes. You, you honestly, once you call one up, you can call him up five or six times, especially a gray. <laughs> yeah. A red's a little different story, but uh, the grays around here, if you call one in, just let him run off. If he comes up and wins you or sees you, let him run off. Give him about a minute or two switch sounds. If he starts to get bored, switch sounds again, switch sounds. That's the biggest key to gray foxes is just keep switching those sounds. And, uh, man, I've seen it a hundred times. I mean, they'll just, they'll bug out and you switch that sound here. They come again. I don't know if they're, if they're stupid or brave. I, <laughs> I, I haven't figured that one out yet. I, I'm thinking brave. Those, those little suckers They're yeah. They're fun to hunt.
0: They're curious little critters. We've got reds up here. Um, we don't have any grays and, and, uh, I know they're, they're, they're somewhat different, but yeah, the reds up here, they're, they're neat to learn from, cause they're, uh, in, in a way they're kind of dumb. Like they'll come charging in to especially like bird sounds they'll come charging in. And then all of a sudden one thing trips them up, spooks them off. But like you said, you can sit there and kind of play with them for a while and, and, and learn a ton from them. It seems like the, the coyotes aren't quite as forgiving once they, once they bust you, it's, it's, uh... No, it kind
1: of, yeah, it kind of doesn't give you too many second chances. That's the thing about yeah. them. They're, they're not quite as forgiving, but they're, they're still fun to hunt and there's a lot to be learned from them. And, uh, uh just watching them. I mean, that right there is, you know, yeah. having the thermal hunting at night. I mean, that really that really is, I think it's opened a lot of people's eyes on the East coast. I mean, it's, it's really just kind of exploded in the last two to three years, thermal on the East coast. And I mean, you can see everybody's got, everybody's numbers, uh, going up. Uh, we've seen it, uh, in contest hunts and everything, you know, winners went from winning contests with five or six. Now it's taking 20 to 25 to win a contest and thermals played a big part of that. And, uh, I think as more people learn how to use that as a tool and uh, I think you'll cons- you'll continue uh, seeing people have a lot of success with it.
0: Yeah, definitely. So with the thermals, obviously the, the way to go for nighttime stuff. Um, I know you have quite a bit of background in, in daytime hunting as well. Um, a lot of the guys around here, uh, it's just daytime hunting's not really a big thing. Can you kind of explain to people, I know some people when they're first getting into predator hunting, they'll, they'll start with daytime just because that's the easiest way to go. Really? You have a gun and, and an optic and, uh, some type of call and you're in business for, for daytime where nighttime, it takes more of an investment, more equipment, that type of thing. So for people kind of getting into it, um, can you kind of explain that? Cause it's really two different ball games completely like how you set up, what you do. Can you kind of touch on daytime versus nighttime for, for people who are looking to get in, into it?
1: Yeah man. Uh, I'm, I'm not a huge day hunter like I said I here in Southwest Virginia and uh, we predominantly night hunt, but I travel around the country and uh, especially down to South Arkansas and hunt with my buddy Tory with MFK game calls and uh, that's all he does he kills every coyote with a shotgun and that's impressive uh to be able to call every coyote in the shotgun range and where he's hunting at it's it's all uh big pine plantations thickets briar patches just i mean the thickest stuff you can imagine i mean you, you couldn't hunt with a rifle and in, uh, in areas like that uh We've, i've been going down there since i guess 2011 and hunting with him and it's a blast uh, i've had a little success day hunting around here in the daytime and here and there it's the same strategies: is locating and knowing where your coyotes are at when you're day hunting those coyotes aren't like when you're hunting at night um, i take two different approaches if i'm night hunting what i'm looking for in a um, in a farm to hunt or a stand to hunt, I wanna see as much area as I possibly can. I'm looking for these big wide open farms that I can see a long ways. Uh, I like cattle on them. Seems like coyotes always tend to stick around cattle. Uh, when I'm day hunting, I wanna get in the woods. I wanna get in the thick stuff. I wanna get in there with them. Uh, I know you see a lot of guys out west and I mean, you got some guys in the East too. I mean, They'll call them out into some fields, but you won't put the numbers up. Then, if you take the time to learn how to hunt coyotes in the woods and in the thick stuff, um, it's a bigger challenge. It's cheaper, like you said, getting into the night hunting game with thermal. I mean, you're looking at you know three, four, five, eight thousand dollars, you know, just to get a nice thermal or night vision and lights and all this stuff. So it's a bigger investment. If you're day hunting. Buy you a call, buy you a shotgun, buy you a handful of shotgun shells, <laughs> and uh, you're ready to go. So, um, the biggest thing on day hunting is playing the wind because they're going to be up close. Uh, night hunting, I don't focus as much on the wind because if I have a really good setup, then you know I don't. I can probably kill him before he hits my wind. When you're day hunting, you don't have that option because he may be only 30 yards away before you ever see him. So uh, biggest thing is playing your wind and not letting him smell you before he gets to where you want uh, to kill him at. Um, Like I said before, locating them, knowing where they're at so you can go in there and kill him. What we normally do when we hunt South Arkansas is we'll start around midnight and uh, get in the truck, ride around, start locating and, we will, uh, of course, everybody has like OnX and GPS on their phones. We'll start marking everywhere that we find a uh, group of coyotes. And uh, right at daylight, we'll start backtracking and hunt our way back through all of those spots. And oh, okay. it works out really good. So uh, it doesn't kill a lot of time like that. And by usually by daylight, we've got five or six, really good, huntable groups that we can hunt that day, and it's been a good method, and we always, always pile up a lot of coyotes, and I know anybody's watched their YouTube channel, they can, they can say it's, it's up close in your face action, too, so. Yeah.
0: So, you pretty much know what direction they're going to come from when you're doing daytime stuff, because I know one of the biggest things at nighttime is we don't, like, you know, I most of us set up with a tripod, like you said, smack dab in the middle of a high point of a field and, and movement's not that big of a deal with daytime movement is a big deal. So, you know, when you're sitting in the woods, I mean, how many times do they come in from behind you or, I mean, you already, I know you already try to have an idea, but doesn't that make it really hard? Like not trying to move during the day and not knowing exactly which direction they're going to come from and kind of puts a whole nother. Oh,
1: it does. Yeah, 100%. They'll definitely, I mean, you're you're always going to have your backdoor coyotes and all that stuff, but that's a good thing about locating and looking at your maps. Um, if you can find timber edges, um, that's kind of what we look at between like a timber edge and a thicket. A lot of times they like to run those. They don't like to break those edges a whole lot. So we try to set up to where we don't allow them to backdoor. I mean, gotcha. uh, what we do is try, when we locate, we drop a pin where we think the coyotes are, not where we were sitting at, but where we think the coyotes are. You know, if we think they're 300 yards over in this thicket, we'll drop a pin, and then before we go in that stand, we'll look at that map and just kind of get an idea. We'll look at the wind, and if we don't – if there's a wind blowing straight into that thicket to where we think the coyotes are, we'll skip that stand. We'll come back to it another day when we have a better wind. There's no use to go in there because nine times out of ten – those coyotes are going to wind you before you'll ever kill them. So it's not worth blowing that stand for uh, when you can come back another day. Say if, if you got a, a west wind blowing right into it, wait till you come back in, when you have like an east wind or a northeast wind where the wind's blowing, where it'll put them right at that edge, and you can set just off that edge, and I promise you they'll run right in your lap. So if that, that's what – that's the learning experience to kill them in the daytime. It's not easy. I mean, right. nighttime hunting is a heck of a lot easier. It's a lot more expensive, but it is easier in certain points. Daytime hunting takes a lot more homework. I think, yeah. um, uh, they're both fun. Me personally, I prefer nighttime hunting just because it's easy. I like <laughs> to go out and I like to make big piles. You're not going to make huge piles like killing 20, 25, you know, in a weekend day hunting in the east it's just not going to happen i mean there's some guys that put up some very impressive numbers but it's just not going to happen like at night but it is fun it's a challenge and it's actually it's it's pretty awesome when you got like a triple running in you can lay them all down with the shotgun at 20 yards i mean it's a rush for sure
0: that's awesome so let's kind of transition to um in wrapping up here the eastern right um I know it's one of the uh, one of the largest um, events of the of the year. Um, I know I competed in it this year for the first time. Weather up here in Ohio, the weather didn't cooperate much for us, but it was still a, a ton of fun getting out there. Um, a lot of preparation. I didn't get to hunt near the land that I wanted to because of the weather. We had uh, twenty-five to thirty-five mile an hour winds up here on the Saturday night. So we literally got weathered out the second night. But the cool thing was, is I got a ton of hunting land out of it because I had a bunch lined up. Um, so there was some preparation in it, but there's a ton of preparation on your end. So for people uh, that aren't familiar with the Eastern United States Prayer Calling Championship, can you kind of go through um, how that got started up, what it is, what all you go through and getting an event that size together and then what it's kind of like on tournament weekend. Sure thing. Um, uh,
1: yeah, the, uh, we started the, uh, Eastern U S Frederick Island championship, which is kind of, everybody just kind of calls it the Eastern now. And I, I kind of roll with that cause it's a lot easier to say. Uh, we started that, uh, this, this past hunt in January was four years within the fourth year that's coming up one in January. would be five years now that we've, uh, had it. And, um, I just wanted to start a hunt that of this magnitude for the East Coast. I mean, there's a lot of great hunts scattered around. Uh, I hunt some hunts up in West Virginia. Uh, I used to hunt some up in Ohio, uh, North Carolina, Georgia, and very well ran. And what I tried to do was take what I really liked out of all of those hunts and combine it and make one really big hunt and basically include the entire eastern U.S. and make it worthwhile for guys from Illinois or from Georgia or from Florida or from New York or Ohio or Wisconsin to make that drive to Virginia. And um, this year we were lucky to pay out, uh, I think, over $65,000 in cash and prizes, which is huge. And it's grown exponentially every year, and I look forward to it growing next year, too, because I've already had been contacted by some sponsors, and they're like, man, this this year's event was great. We can't wait to come back. We love the venue. Um, And uh, we had over a 1,000 people this year show up at check-in, and uh, everything went really well. Um, Planning for this thing usually starts the day after the hunt ends. So, so <laughs> right. actually Monday, Monday morning the uh, I I contacted uh, contacted the venue we used this year, went ahead and booked it again. Yeah, you had and a really cool uh, venue
0: this year where you where you drive in and and uh right. everything we were, was kinda inside and you can unload inside. It was it was a really cool venue.
1: Yeah, we were trying to go in for that, you know, mm-hmm. that Bassmasters feel where they drive their vehicles in. You got your big uh all your sponsor board and all that. I mean, we're not near that size, but that's kind of the feel we were going for. And everything's inside in case it was raining or snowing or something like that. That way everybody's in the dry and can enjoy it a little better and we don't all feel rushed. And uh, um, But yeah, this, this hunt, I mean, it gives guys from... All across the eastern US and and we actually had several hunters from uh, west of the Mississippi they come over and partner up with some local guys and uh, we've actually had hunters all the way from Utah come and hunt this hunt and uh, it's been it's been really good we've had a we've had a great group of sponsors uh, help us out and we couldn't do it without them it's a lot of work though and honestly if anybody ever wants to start up a contest I would probably, uh, advise against it because it's a lot of work, but it's rewarding in the end. It just seeing all the predator hunters and getting to meet all the guys you talk to on Facebook and, uh, places like that, you know, getting to meet them and have everybody in one spot is a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, it gets a lot of coyotes killed too. We had, uh what do we have? I think almost 800 and some predators brought in this yeah.
0: year. So I was I mean, going to ask was... what the total numbers came up. What was the number, what was the number of coyotes that won it this year?
1: Uh, the number of coyotes, we had, uh, two teams that actually killed 24. Uh, and the way we do our tiebreaker is the first one to show up at check-in wins the tiebreaker. And, uh, we had two teams that killed 24 and, uh, uh, Colt Menton, Curtis French, and, uh, Chris Smith. I think, I'm pretty sure that's the name. Uh, they won it this year and, uh, congrats to those guys. Um, that's a, that's an yeah, accomplishment that's awesome. itself to kill 24 on a weekend.
0: So. Yeah. And you, and you had and, some and really big too, sponsors you, too. I mean, right. Did They walked yeah, away yeah. with like rifles and I mean, there was, I know there was a lot of the total prize pot was big, but I mean, there were, there were side pots for stuff. There was raffle. Like th- this event really brings in the big name sponsors and a lot of opportunity for if you don't get first, second or third, there's there was still a lot of opportunities to, to to make it worth the drive down there.
1: Right, and that's and that's why we why we did it like that. We we've got like nine or ten different side pots. You can win money on the biggest coyote, the biggest red fox, the smallest red fox, biggest gray fox, the most gray fox, the you know et cetera, yeah. et cetera, and also what we did this year was pay out a bounty. So every coyote that is brought in will get money. And lucky, luckily enough, uh, to having our great sponsors, we were able to put 100% of the hunter's entry fees into the bounty money. And I think coyotes brought, I think, almost $70 this year. I think that's what it was. I have to go back and check, $65, $70 bucks a piece. So any coyote you bring back, you automatically are getting a check. And, um, and if you happen to bring back the biggest Coyote, we were giving away a $3,000 rifle. The smallest Coyote got a $3,000 rifle, uh, the most gray fox, I think, got a thousand dollars cash. I mean, it, it's just a lot of money and a lot of prizes, and a lot of opportunities to win. So, you know, to have a hunt this size and to have hunters all across the Eastern U.S. hunt it, you have to have prizes to make them want to make that trip you know it's hard to have 200 plus teams i think we had 200 208 i believe it's hard to have that many teams when you've only got three places to make everybody drive back if they've only killed you know had a rough weekend or the weather's been rough and that's one of the things we've been snake bit every single year is having uh tough weather but I promise you one year we will have a good weather weekend for
0: the Eastern. Yeah. Well, this year was my first year doing it. I'm not, uh, to be honest, I'm not real big on tournaments. I I don't do a whole lot of them. I try to save up for one a year and and I make it the Eastern. Um, but for people that have not done a tournament, if I was to recommend, if you're on the East coast, if I was to recommend anything, it would be the Eastern just because from a hunting standpoint, you, you learn a ton from a tournament, you know, tournaments, you hunt, you hunt a tournament totally different than you hunt for fun. I hunt by myself mostly. So uh, the Eastern allowed up to three people. And there's a lot of planning, a lot of things that go into that. Um, I I bought a, 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 new thermal just for the Eastern. Of course I wanted it anyway. So it was a good excuse to upgrade um, but you know, we invested in, in headsets where everybody could talk back and forth, really high-end headsets where, you know, everything, the comms are always open. And, and we, we, met, our team met ahead of time to kind of organize things. And overall, I come out of it, even though we, you know, we didn't, uh, put a whole lot in the back of the truck. I learned a ton out of that hunting that weekend. And I learned even more for what I did to get ready for it. So Uh, I would encourage anyone who's thinking about doing a tournament um, do something like that because even if you don't uh, you know put a whole lot of predators in the truck bed it's worth the drive down there still and to be part of something that size and this year you guys used the uh, what was the name of the app for scoring
1: Um, the the great American predator challenge app yeah I mean it worked really well, which that kind of allowed us to get away from uh, kill blocks and it, uh, um, you could check your coyotes in using an app and it time stamped everything and it worked really well.
0: Yeah, it, it was neat to use that because I, I know instead of, you know, trying to use kill blocks and zip time shut and hope, you know, everything was done right and turned the right way and this and that. I mean, we literally snapped a picture with the app, put the info in real quick, threw it in the truck and we were gone. Right. And, and that was a cool thing to use and it had the leaderboard so you could watch what people were doing throughout the night. Um, th- that, that was a cool, uh, first time I've ever used anything like that. That was super cool. Hopefully I'm hoping you guys do that next year.
1: Right. And so. that's a good thing about these hunts, man. Like I said, I, I contest something myself. I try to do at least do two or three a year. And it's more honestly, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love to win and I, my feelings are hurt if I don't, but, the fellowship, the guys you meet at these hunts the uh, um, just the friends you make from uh, going to these events and getting to see all the sponsors uh, you know a lot of them show up and set up booths and you get to like talk to them face to face. all your buddies are there like like I say, that you talk to on Facebook every day and you almost feel like you're family with but you never actually get the uh, chance to meet them in person. they're all there. And it's a really good, just a really fun time. It's a lot of work, but it's a, at the end, it's it's a very rewarding experience. And uh, I'm like you. I, I urge everyone or every predator hunter that hasn't taken place or, like, taken advantage of hunting in a contest to at least try one. And the Eastern's a very good one for professionals or even if you're just getting into the sport, we try to set this hunt up to where everyone has a chance of taking home something. Our door prize table this year had, we had Trijicon scopes, we had uh, guns, we we gave away uh, uh, rifles to the kids, we gave away uh, hitch racks, I mean I I can't even think of what all was on the table but there was a pretty big spread of stuff and uh, everybody that shows back up to check in get the ticket and you're eligible for all that. And that's all donated from our sponsors too. So it costs you nothing to do that. So all you got to do is kill a handful of coyotes and you're basically your whole experience is paid for. If you get, you get the bounty money and everything else, it's just, it's just pudding. That's awesome.
0: (laughs) Well, Jason, I really appreciate your time today. Um, I think I know I've learned a lot from just speaking with you just now, and hopefully our listeners have picked up uh, some tips. Uh, for people that want to follow, they can follow um, follow you on Facebook, MFK. I know I follow your guys' yep. YouTube channel. Is there other yep. links? Yeah,
1: MFK Game Calls. Yeah, just go to Facebook, type in MFK Game Calls, and uh, please go to our YouTube channel, MFK Game Calls. Hit the subscribe button. Uh, we've got uh, new videos. We're right in the middle of some turkey videos right now. I'm getting ready to, I was actually edit, editing a uh, another coyote hunting video right before uh, Jeff and I got on the phone today. So we'll have a new coyote hunting video up for you by the first of the week. Uh, so be sure to check us out on there. Uh, the website, www.mfkgamecalls. And if you're interested in the eastern that Eastern United States Predator hunting challenge or Predator calling championship, just go to www.euspcc.com. All the info's on there. There's past videos from uh, uh, hunts in the last couple years, uh, the rules, uh, all that good stuff. You can check that out on there.
0: Awesome. Well, Jason, I really appreciate your time today.
1: Thanks, Jeff. I appreciate you having me on, buddy. All right, thanks. All right.